welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. In this episode, I talk to Sabah Kainajad, the co-founder of Veed.io, a UK-based SaaS startup that provides a simple online video editor. Sabah and his co-founder, Tim, were frustrated working with complex and time-consuming video editing software. They realized that for many tasks, these products were overkill. And eventually, that led them to joining forces to build a simple online video editing tool. They failed to raise seed funding, so they had to work contract jobs during the day, and then they worked on their business at night. A few months later, they applied to YC and made it to the final interview. They flew out to the YC offices in Mountain View, excited to be on a cusp of a big break. But they were rejected by YC because they weren't making any money. So back in London, 48 hours later, the founders implemented a paywall and had their first 20 paying customers. It was a promising sign that they were solving a worthwhile problem and that helped them to keep going. But by August, they had less than one month's runway left, and they knew they were going to struggle to make payroll. So they literally doubled their prices overnight with little to no impact on user growth. Today, they're generating over $10,000 in MRR and are growing at 50% month over month. The key takeaway from this story is that failure is a part of any entrepreneur's life. It's how you bounce back that matters. And there's some really interesting lessons here in this interview. So I hope you enjoy it. Saba, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So what gets you out of bed? What inspires or motivates you to work on your business every day? Well, the thing that actually gets me out of bed every morning is when our render node goes down. But jokes aside from that, <laughs> we absolutely love creating content at Veed and you know making a product for other people to do exactly the same thing. I just don't think there's anything cooler to do that. So we, we just absolutely love it. So for people who aren't familiar, tell us, what does the product do? Who is it for? And what's the main problem you're helping to solve? Sure. So Veed is a simple online video editing platform. And unlike most other editing platforms, it's very easy to use. It's collaborative and we can render videos much faster than your average laptop. Our users are any like anything from like big companies like Facebook and Pinterest to influencers, entrepreneurs and hobbyists. And for all of these people, they they want to make like content, but they don't want to have to dive into an Adobe platform, which is, you know, designed for making long form content. They just want to make short, sharp, you know, bits of content, add subtitles, captions and get it out on social. Now, I came across you and Veed on LinkedIn when you posted a summary of 2019 very succinctly, where you listed out your three top failures. And there were pretty significant ones and how you turned things around and basically took this bootstrapped business to, I mean, at the time I saw that you were on track for about 150K ARR yeah, and growing at about 50% month over month. Yeah. But before that, there was, there was sort of a couple of times where it looked like the business was going to go nowhere. It was just going to get shut down. And I think it's a fascinating story. I also really appreciated 
you know, your transparency to talk about this stuff. And so I- immediately when I saw that, I thought I-, I need to get this guy on the show and-, and talk to him. So I'm glad we were able to, to make this work. And, and, you know, I'm really excited about sharing this story with, you know, with our audience here. Before we sort of get into, you know, this roller coaster ride and, you know, how you sort of turn things around, let's talk about how did you guys come up with the idea for this product? Sure. So maybe like four or five years ago, I was working as a creative in London at production companies and startups. And one of the contracts I was doing, I was being paid a pretty good day rate to basically edit videos for a social media company. And the social media manager asked me to add text to a video about, you know, 10 times that day. And that's kind of all I did. And I was just amazed that they weren't able to do it themselves. Like they were more than creatively capable of doing it. They do all the images themselves. They do all the posting themselves. But when it came to video, there was a massive bottleneck. And they were kind of like using MacBook Airs, which, you know, aren't the most powerful and probably weren't, you know, able to use the really complicated software. So... At the time, I was also making GIFs on Giphy. Giphy has this really great editor for adding text, for trimming GIFs. So I thought, you know, if we can make something like the Giphy editor, but for videos, I had it in the browser, that could be a really powerful tool. And it kind of fitted really well in like what I was doing at the time. I was like creating content myself. I was into technology. I was building apps and websites. And I just kind of thought I could bring those two things together in a really nice way. And how did you get together with your co-founder, Tim? Really interesting story. We actually met online years ago when we were both in university. We met on a forum, which was doing this like online hackathon. And you would meet into different like groups via location. So the idea was meet some people in London. And we met at this Starbucks in Angel Islington. And then just got on really, really well. And from that point on, we've been kind of like building for years, little, you know, little things, testing ideas. None of them really went anywhere because we're both students. But then, you know, once he finished university, that's when we were like, okay, let's do this for real. And so what's the split? Like, is, are you the sort of the design guy and he's the developer or you guys do both bits of everything? Yeah, exactly. So he focuses on development. I focus on design. In the early days, we'd both kind of do a bit of everything. But as time has gone on, yeah, I focus more on design and growth. He does more products and development. Okay, so you've got this idea and you think there's an opportunity for a business. What did you guys do next? Like, did you try to validate the idea? Did you build an MVP? What were the next steps you took? Well, um, I'm not sure if this was in the LinkedIn post, but there was a really big failure that we made around this sort of time. And that was, we got into the King's College London University Accelerator where Tim was studying once he graduated. And we didn't have that much runway, maybe about four months each. But on this accelerator, there was opportunities every three or four months to win grant funding from previous successful alumni. We thought the idea of a simple online video editor probably wasn't sexy enough to win this money. So we decided to start tweaking our idea and added the word AI in there and stuff like that. And basically, the good news is we won every competition during that year and must have, yeah, I think we must have had about £50,000 in prize money. We got flown to Dubai to present the idea. A VC gave us some desk space, but fundamentally, it didn't work. So what was the idea? 
It was an automated editing product for e-commerce, for fashion. So like catwalk videos that you'd see on, um, I think they're on like Amazon, ASOS, you know, lots of really big e-commerce websites. Okay, so if I understood this correctly, you had an idea for simple video editing. And when you had this opportunity and this accelerator, you thought that idea is too simple. So you made it more complicated. Exactly. <laughs> Love it. Okay. And then, so how did things end up with that? So we were kind of getting somewhere, but we only had about one month's runway left. So we ripped out all of the complex parts and kind of left the simple online video editor. And with a couple of months runway left, we put it on product hunt, wrote a few blogs, optimized landing pages, and then we were out of money at this point, and it was kind of sad. So we had to go back to contracting. But the good news was the MVP was live, and it had a few, few users at that point in time. And how were you getting the word out, apart from like product hunt and, and sort of things like that? Did you sort of have an idea of who your target customer was and how to find them? Or, or was it, let's just try to get this in front of anybody who will pay attention? Yeah, I suppose like we had a bit of an idea of who our you know potential user might be, but it's very different to who they are now. So it was kind of just like throw it at the wall, let's see what sticks, let's just try and get some traction. And all we did was the initial product hunt launch, and then we would answer questions on Quora, uh, which I've heard quite a few people do on this podcast, bit of a trend. And yeah, we just you know get the initial stuff up do, you know, 20, 30 answers, and we'd see maybe 20, 30 people a day coming to the site. Okay, and when was that? Like, when did you kind of go through the accelerator? So we started the accelerator in September 2017, and then we left September 2018, so that was a full year. Uh, that's the point which we ran out of um, money. I went back to contracting until March 2019. Okay, so... Were you doing any work on the product in that time when you went back to contracting or, or were you guys like thinking this was a done deal and it was time to move on? The first month we needed a bit of a break, but we kind of started seeing user numbers go up a bit. So we hired a couple of guys to help us out and we'd work evening and weekends just grinding, just keep pushing. Were you making any money at the time? No, the product was making no money. Were you charging or it was just like a free product? Completely free. Okay. And then sometime in early 2019, you tried to raise some seed funding. What happened there? Yeah. So, I mean, at this kind of time, we had like 30,000 monthly users. So it was looking pretty good. And it, all the investors that I've previously spoke to and kept in touch with always said, oh, we you know, look for great founders. And, you know, you guys are great founders, but it's not the right time. And so, yeah, we just kind of went around and spoke to a load of people and we just didn't get any commitment. And we were just like, you know what, this is just wasting our time. We, we should really get back to focusing on the product and, you know, just going for it, really. Okay, so you try to raise funding. It doesn't go anywhere. And was it, was it that user number that kind of kept you guys going? Like, was that the thing that you just kind of felt like, okay, no, we're onto something here? Yeah, exactly. Like, we, you know, we were... In the space of like four months, five months, we went from like, you know, 10 users a day to, you know, about a thousand users a day. And so we were like, there's something here, there's something here. Like, we know there's a problem. We can, we can do this. Okay. And so both of you guys are working or contracting during the day, and then you're working on this business at night, which, you know, anybody who does that or anybody listening to that knows how tough that is to 
go through and you know a full day of work and then kind of have the energy to put into this kind of project you know every night day after day week after week is is not an easy thing to do it was actually mornings we did mornings so okay okay that's different yeah we just woke up early you know like 5 a.m and then because that's i feel like that's the most productive time of the day so we'd just get a few hours in in the morning okay cool so you're 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 contracting you're you're building this business on the side in the mornings not at night and then it was around i guess summertime that you guys applied for y combinator yeah that's right okay so what happened there Sure. So my contracts came to an end after five months. Uh, so I went, I had about six months runway left. Tim was still in his contract. So I went full time on the product again. And during this time, we put an application into YC. A couple of weeks later, it all happened very fast. We got a telephone interview. So we went through that. And then we got invited to go interview at the office in um, Mountain View. So on that note, Tim quit his contract as well. And we're like, we're going all in. We're going to Y Combinator. We're going to make this work and just didn't look back really. So yeah, Tim quits his job. Two weeks after that, we're on a plane, fly over there, check into our Airbnb. And, you know, we're nervous, but we're putting a lot of work in. We think we're doing quite well. We've got, you know, 35,000 monthly users. We're growing at a good speed. We've, you know, got a great team behind us. And yeah, going to the interview, it was intense, come out. And then we're just like waiting, waiting, waiting. And then we get this rejection email, I remember, on the staircase of the Green Tortoise Hotel. And the, uh, yeah, the rejection email said, you know, why are you not charging your users? Like, it's, you're really rejected because we don't know why you're not charging your users. So we get this rejection on a Thursday. And we thought, you know what, like, if we can get ourselves paid users by Monday, that shows that we have, like, a lot of grit, that we're determined that we can get this done. So after the first night of feeling sorry for ourselves, the next day we get up first thing in the morning and we start building our accounts, our payment features, our logins, like a lot. And we just kind of grind for the next two, three days, absolutely hammering it out. And then on Sunday, we just, you know, 24 hours before the Monday comes around, we put it live and like instantly straight away, we got a paid user come through and we were like, so, so excited. And we're like, you know what, we might actually just do this. And then over the next 24 hours until the Monday, we got about 20 paid users on $5 a month at the time. And we were like, oh my God, they're going to say yes to this. Like that's, that's an incredible turnaround. So we wrote them an email saying, hey, we've now charged our users. We're taking your feedback on board. We really want to do this. We want to, you know, we're super, super excited. Will you reconsider? And then unfortunately, a few hours later, we got a rejection, another rejection from the original rejection saying that um, we can't change our minds on this decision, which obviously they could have done. But so, yeah, we got we got turned down, but we did leave, you know, with our heads high, like, you know, we, we took a chance. And, you know, we had our first paid users at that point as well. So that was almost like the hardest bit done. Yeah. And I guess it's got to be tough. Like if you just apply and just fill out the form and they just tell you, no, thanks. That's one thing. But then to go through that stage and then a phone interview and then to get on a plane and, and, you know, have these in-person kind of, you know, conversations, it kind of feels like you're so close to, you know, getting through that that's, that's got to kind of hurt more, right? 
Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, yeah, just going to San Francisco, you're in the office, you feel like you're kind of already there. You think you've got good numbers, you've got a great product. Yeah, it was really tough. But I, you know, I do think after we left San Francisco, we definitely, definitely came back better to London than when we left. You know, we had paid users, we had all the infrastructure built. You know, we we were ready to roll basically. And how did you get people onto the paid plan? Like, did you kind of say, okay, you know, the, the people are used to the free product, and so what did you offer them in the paid plan that they couldn't get in the free product? And and did you send an email out to people about it or did people just sign up once you rolled this out? So we were planning to make it paid, but we were thinking for a long time about the right way to do it. And, oh, we'll do something where you get uh, like a week free and then, you know, then it's paid or, or like a usage-based system. But because we only had the weekend to do it, we were very limited with our options, right? So what we ended up doing is putting a watermark on the video effectively making it redundant for any brands or businesses to use it on their social media. So the second we put watermarks on there, all the users that actually found value in the product paid for it straight away. Interesting. Okay, so you you kind of signed up about 20 people. That was, that was I guess, around, what, June time? June, exactly, exactly. The 5th of June, it went live. Okay, so you start the year try to raise seed funding, you get rejected there, that doesn't happen. So you guys sort of figure out how to make some money and and get some contracts and and sort of build this business on the side. Then in June time, you get rejected from YC. But the upside of that is that that rejection forced you to really think about charging people and, and that got you paying customers. It was a handful, but it was still paying customers. And then kind of looks like, you know, you, maybe this is the breakthrough. Okay, things are kind of going to look better here, right? This is how the story is supposed to go. But then in August, you guys got to a point where you had about a month of runway left and you were kind of close to shutting down. Yeah, so uh, as I mentioned, when we had that phone interview and we were going to San Francisco for the interview, Tim left his job too. So that it ended up that we had maybe three, two, three months runway left. We also had a couple of people working part-time for us, keeping the product going. And it looked like we were running out very, very soon. And, you know, our monthly recurring revenue was coming up, but it looked like we were going to miss it by a month. And it would have been back to contracting, unfortunately. And it's just not the run we wanted. So we just all dug really deep. And then we put the prices up from the $5 to $10. And we were getting there. And it was like looking better instead of like a month gap. It was like a two week gap. And then again, we doubled it to 20 and that gap just completely closed. And we pretty much sailed through running out of our savings to the company paying for everyone. Like absolutely perfectly. It was dramatic, but fun. And no, really pleased to be out the other side. And at that point, like no one could tell us we couldn't do it. Right. We had enough money to pay for the team, for the servers. We were growing. We didn't need to contract again. It was incredibly, like, it was just amazing. Yeah. How did you start changing the pricing? Did you grandfather in people who had already started paying five bucks a month? Or did you just tell everybody the price is going up? How did you handle that? Yeah, so we grandfathered everyone in. So all the people at $5, we still have some of those guys today. $10, that was only there for, you know, 
maybe a month, so not so many of them. It was actually relatively simple. And I think that it was more of a confidence thing. Like we didn't think the product was that valuable because we built it and we're on the other side. But actually, there's a lot of people getting a lot of value out of it and they're more than willing to pay for it. Yeah. And when I look at this today and, you know, I see some of the the brands on your homepage of people using it at Facebook and VentaMedia and Visa and, and so on. To me, it still feels like there's a disconnect between that, like 20 bucks a month. It feels like a consumer product. Exactly. Yeah. And you know what? Earlier today, I was listening to another podcast you did on, on pricing and, you know, not selling seats, which is technically what we do, but, you know, do it based on value and how much you use it. And so we've just had some conversations today about implementing that this week. So yeah, we're changing. We're always changing. We're trying to, you know, always trying to improve, find more value and provide more value for our users as well. Yeah. I mean, it it sort of seems to me that also you kind of have a one plan right now, like monthly or annually, but there's probably an opportunity. Like I'm sure there's something you could offer that there are clients that would happily pay, you know, a hundred bucks a month for. Yeah, exactly. And I'm sure you guys are probably already thinking about that. We're literally deploying team accounts right now, which is a hundred bucks a month. And um, <laughs> I love it. The, the, the other thing, and you, you and I didn't talk about this before. No, right? no, this no, no just... exactly. <laughs> the, I mean, the other thing that we're doing is we're looking at all the data and, you know, we can see that 20% of the users are just doing so much editing and they've got crazy amounts of storage uh, you know, of the videos and the transcoding and transcribing and translating all of this content. And, you know, if we put those guys on value-based pricing, we'll, we'll get so much more a month from them. So you double the prices, you double the prices again. And I think, as we've just talked about, there's an opportunity to do that. Beyond just adding sort of the paywall and increasing prices, have you guys been doing anything else from a marketing perspective to to find customers? So I think there's two things that we've been doing since then. One of them is I probably spend five hours a day speaking to our users. It is crazy. I really love it though. And it gives me a really good insight to who they are, what they want and what they're looking for and what their goals are. And then I kind of funnel that information into the product so we can think about how our landing page communicates to them and, you know, make sure the tooling and the editor is right for them. And that's been incredible for us. I mean, just today we had loads of shout outs on social media with, you know, um, marketers using the tool, telling their friends. And that's been incredible for, you know, people referring each other. So I think about 10% of our users now have been referred, which is great. Love it. Before you tell me more, can you give me an example of how you've, you've implemented that? So you, you talked about, you know, Hey, here's how we've updated the homepage to talk to them Give us an example of that, because I think that's a really important point that sometimes we forget is as a founder, it's easy to think about how you see the product and how you want to describe it. But when you talk to your customers, they often see it a different way. Sure. And so I'm curious about, you know, is there some some example of that that you can share with us that these conversations helped you to improve your messaging? So the second uh, a paid user signs up for our platform, they get a welcome email and a day later they get a hi i'm saba this is the story so far and then at the end of that story it's like tell me why you chose bead and then i have probably over a hundred responses to that one question alone and everyone likes it because it's simple and it's a great way to do subtitles right 
And if you look at our homepage now, the first thing that you can see that it's simple online video editing, video editing made simple, sorry. And it's a great place to add subtitles and great audience. So it's, you know, taking exactly what they like about it and what they want from it into the, you know, the first banner of the page. Love it. Love it. Because that's probably like when those people, those customers are telling other people about the product and the referrals, that's probably what they're saying. They're saying, oh yeah, it's this online video software, editing software that lets you do this. Yes, exactly. Right? And, and you've nailed that on the homepage. That's, that's great. The great example. Okay, great. So what about in terms of anything else like, you know, content marketing, you know, reaching out to brands, outbound stuff? Have you been doing anything like that? Yeah, we tried a bunch of outbound and it just didn't fly. It just didn't work, unfortunately. Something that we did get really good at that we're still trying to get better at is, you know, I started discovering that if, you know, if you look at the general acquisition channel of different categories of businesses, they're incredibly similar. So like social publishers obviously rely on social media to bring their traffic in. And a lot of web tools for like video editing and image editing, about 80% of all their traffic was coming from search. So people would Google stuff like um, add image to video, subtitle video. And we thought, okay, let's make landing pages for every one of these kind of like long tail keywords and then try and rank for them. So I wrote about, you know, 20 landing pages. It took forever, got them up. And then what we would do is we'd launch each one of those landing pages on Product Hunt. And then so what that did was brought the initial bit of traffic through, uh, which was great. And then we got a bit of social traction as well. So people tweeting about it on Twitter. And a couple of days later, there'd be a couple of articles saying, hey, this is a great place to add text to your video. You know, this is a great place to subtitle your video. And that kind of, you know, got those initial backlinks and that initial traffic. And we could start seeing ourselves ranking in a couple of weeks on the first page of Google. And then as our tool was like an actionable utility, unlike the other articles, which were just explaining how to do it in like iMovie, we started ranking really well. And like today, we're probably at number one or two for most of those keywords. So mostly the growth has come from word of mouth and being good at SEO. Yeah, exactly. And when did you start hiring people? Because you said you've got a team of, what, four or five people now? Yeah. So the initial hires that we made, Matt and Vilko, are still with us today, and they're absolutely incredible. We couldn't have done any of this without them. We hired them when we went back to contracting. And we did that because we were getting good day rates, you know, working in technology companies in London. Uh, so we were able to hire remotely. So we could kind of keep both things going. And then, you know, slowly they started saying to their mates, like, oh, you know, this is a really cool startup. Like, do you want to join us? And then the team's kind of grown organically since then. And where are these guys based? One's in Serbia, one's in Budapest. And we've just hired Josie. She is German, but living in Vietnam right now. So, yeah, all over the place, really. So what's next for you guys? I think maybe founders always feel like their product's never finished, but I want to get to... Of course, it never will be, right? I want to get to 1.0 so badly. <laughs> no, yeah. I think, you know, we want to get our timeline editing done so you can do multiple videos. And then the other thing, we want to build applications to connect, you know, the whole ecosystem up so you can edit on your phone, then your laptop and, you know, improve our collaboration features and also start offering B2B packages as well. So we get a lot of inbound B2B requests, but we just haven't been able to fulfill them just yet because we're just too small. And this is, the, I think, the thing with not raising money and bootstrapping is 
we've got enough to pay everyone and we're growing at a great rate. So, you know, that's something we're going to have to address in four months. And we, you know, we're okay with that. So yeah, we just have to grow at the same speed as the company. Now, what was the big lesson or takeaway for you from these failures over the course of that year? Yeah, I mean, I think I don't want to say don't give up, but it kind of feels like we, you know, it was the fact that we just kept going and kept pushing through, you know, that we really learned how to turn failure into success and not, you know, not let it bother us, you know, and just having that grit and determination to keep pushing through and believing in it. Yeah, it's cliche as it sounds, I think that's probably it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think in your, um, the LinkedIn post, you'd said that failure is, is a part of life. It's how you bounce back from it, right? It's, that's the lesson, right? In terms of really, it comes back to resilience. Yeah, definitely. And one thing, I guess, is in the earlier days when you didn't have that many users using the product, what kept you guys going then? I mean, when you have like 10,000 users or whatever, like you're like, oh yeah, I mean, people like it, right? And and they're using it and we're onto something. But in the earlier days, when you don't have that many people there, I think that's where a lot of people get stuck in terms of, am I on the wrong path? Is this the wrong idea? Am I wasting my time? So what was it for you? Was it just about you believed in the idea? You just passionate about building this thing? What was it that kept you guys going? I think there was a few things. Like one of them was the fact that I thought that we learned all the lessons we needed to learn. And like, we, you know, we've done the thing that we shouldn't have done and now we're going to do it right. And I just was so, you know, really wanted to execute on that. And I thought we were the right people to do it. Like we had, you know, the perfect combination of skills and, you know, experience in this industry and which I just thought we'd be the right people to do it. So yeah, we, we just wanted to do it so bad that we just kept going. And I think this comes back to like picking the right idea. And more than anything, if it was another idea, maybe we would have let it go. But we were just so excited about it and we just wanted to execute upon it. And now you guys are focused on that 1 million ARR number. That's the big goal for you guys. Yeah, I think I, I'm, I'm tempted to say we're going to hit it by summer, by June, but we'll have to see. Well, I'll make the same offer to you as, as I made somebody else. So on episode 220, I interviewed a guy called Riley Chase. He'd been on my radar for a while back in 2018, like on Twitter and LinkedIn. And he was just talking about you know what he was doing and, and how he was trying to build a SaaS business. You can get the whole story, go and listen to the episode. But at the end of the day, I, you know, I kind of started talking to him and I said, you know, get to about eight and a half K in MRR, which roughly about, you know, a hundred K a year ARR and I'll get you on the show. And less than a year, he was like, I've done it. And, you know, it was just great to, to sort of have him on. And we talked about, you know, how he'd got there and he's kind of on a similar journey now as well to, you know, he's doing really well. He got some money from, um, Ernest Capital and uh, my buddy Tyler Trinkus. And so, you know, he's he's really kind of gone from a sort of similar story to you in terms of struggling, actually got fired from his job because they found out he was kind of moonlighting and they thought there was a conflict of interest and, and you know, which actually turned out to be a really good thing. So I kind of make the offer, same offer to you. Like, you know, you get to that 1 million ARR number and then let's let's have you back. And maybe we have, you know, you maybe you and Tim and, Let's kind of continue the story and see what else we can learn from what you guys have done. That sounds amazing. Thank you so much. 
Yeah, my pleasure. All right, let's wrap up and get on to the, the lightning round. So I'm going to ask you seven quick fire questions. Uh, just try and answer them as quickly as you can. You ready? Yeah, let's go. What's the best piece of business advice you've ever received? Charge your users. <laughs> yeah. What book would you recommend to our audience and why? I really like Shoe Dog. And I think it's a great example of you know how long it takes to actually build a business and that it's not easy. And also, I think it's just a really nicely well-written story that's very entertaining. What's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful entrepreneur? I think the ability to spot trends and have an understanding of how they you know affect the world and how things are changing. What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? I think having amazing people work with you just means you sleep easier at night, you know? What's a new or crazy business idea you'd love to pursue if you had the extra time? So I did say that I spend about five hours speaking to users every day, and the majority of them don't know how to use video calling software. So I'd like to make very easy to use video calling software that's just very accessible and very user-friendly. What's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? <laughs> I used to be a pancake topper. <laughs> a what? A pancake topper. I used to top pancakes. <laughs> okay. And um, finally, what is one of your most important passions outside of your work? I love snowboarding and sailing and being in the outdoors, really. Love it. Great. All right. So if people want to find out more about Vidio or, or give it a try. They can go to Vid. That's V double E D dot I O. And uh, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? So my email is s at vid.io and I'm S A B eight A on Twitter and Instagram too. Awesome. Saba, thank you for uh, joining me. Thank you for sharing your story. As I said, when I came across your your post on LinkedIn, I, I was like, I need to get this guy on. I think there's a really, really interesting story and uh, you haven't disappointed. So I I know that a lot of people will really enjoy this episode and to, you know, hear your story and and sort of the ups and downs that you guys have gone through. And I think it's going to inspire a lot of people who maybe are in a similar situation now to keep going and, you know, possibly look at failure in a different way. Maybe it's not, you know, failure is maybe just another hurdle that's in your way to getting to success, right? So I I hope that's going to help people as well. Yeah, so thank you. And uh, yeah, I wish you guys all the best. And uh, yeah, let's stay in touch. And definitely, uh, uh, I'm pretty excited about the idea of getting you guys back when you hit that that next big milestone. Yeah, see you at 1 million ARR then. (laughs) There we go. Thanks so much, yeah. Thank you. All the best. Cheers. Take care. Bye.